welcome to a very special, spooktacular month of. Oh, oh, oh no, it's. The month of horror at how movies will gain that weakling. In this podcast, we pick the darkest, scariest, and creepiest movies, and we talk about. We, we talk about. What made them great before giving you, the listener, ideas on, on how you can play them at your role-playing group. Now it's... it's up. Best of all... <laughs> best of all, one of these movies will be voted on to determine which game goes on to star in its own full video of actual play. Now... Oh, uh, no, I, I, uh, no, I'm, uh, on with the show. I'm sorry, he's such a bother. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's put this near. I agree. That with the lemon cookies. Near the Jessica. (laughs) Oh, speaking of which, we should probably get rolling here. Yeah, I think we should. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Have Movies, Will Game. I'm Matthew. And I'm Dusty. And I'm Nathaniel. And with us today, we once again have a very special guest. Jessica. All right. So uh, we have a movie this week. Yes. Now, it's it's a movie that... Uh, can, can we talk about why we're doing these movies yet? Will the first one have dropped within that period? Yeah, the yeah, first the one first, will have already dropped. Yeah, this is movie two Tuesday. of our very special... Oh, this is next Tuesday? Yeah, this yeah. upcoming Tuesday, the, the the first of this series. Time drops, just flies and gets away from Tuesday. you, doesn't it? Oh, well, the first of this series, not yeah. this one. Okay. No, this, yeah, no. so this is... Um, <laughs> So yeah, we're doing a series of horror movies for Halloween, and Jessica picked out one here because we had four. And Jessica, why did you pick out Saw? I feel like Saw would be perfect to turn into a game in terms of like it's literally a puzzle, and it's also a will to survive. You know this this person that's trying to like kill either the two, which is the first Saw movie, but then other ones go to separate ones. But to have like puzzle pieces that fit in and to try to survive mm-hmm. is like the basis of any game, right? Yeah. And to win. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with like the Saw movie. You're trying to win. Otherwise you die and then you lose. Yeah. So and not die well. I mean, we're no. not talking no. about going to, to sleep in a bed surrounding by Horrific adoring family. Deaths. It's awful. Your life's torturous. work done. <laughs> yeah. Now I will say this. Uh, you often hear Saw being compared to, uh, what is it? Seven. Uh, Torture porn? Yeah. They're like hostile. I'm going to go ahead and say that just on the basis of the first one, which is the one we watched this week, I don't see that. I think the first one's a comedy, personally. I think the first one was actually really well executed. I I agree. I think that I when when they were first being released, I saw them out of order, and I started with like two or three. I personally think two is the superior one. Yeah. But I think, well, I think two is the more gameable one. But Four we'll get to sets. that later. Yeah. Four yeah. Well, it was way more connected with everything that was happening. Even the character that was in the middle of the room was associated with the doctor that mm-hmm. was there. Mm-hmm. So everything connected. And even at the beginning, like my favorite part is seeing that blue thing go down the drain and realizing that it's the key <laughs> that <laughs> helps him. Like it could have saved him. Yeah. So anyways, to Dusty. Uh, By the way, uh, as we always point out and note, uh, if you haven't watched the movie that we're talking about, put us on pause, go watch it, because there are going to be spoilers. Spoilers. Yeah, because we're we're talking about it. Spoilers. That's that's what we do. But we'll be right here when you come back, as always. So this week, as was already noted by Jessica and Matthew, uh, we are talking about the 2004 psychological horror thriller Saw and noted... 
already the torture porn the first of many torture porn movies that uh, uh, the uh, production company company has made. Uh, I still attest that this one is more of a comedy, but really? I think that's Why mainly. Do you say that? I think it's mainly due to Carrie Elvis overacting. I that's, that's I was, oh was going to agree with you on that. <laughs> Man, his family was being held. Now this wasn't this wasn't Captain Kirk saying, "Give me back my green skin girl, or I'll blow up your planet." This was this was his immediate family being taken. But no, but the acting itself, his acting was a lot better in like The Princess Bride as you know the Dread Pirate Roberts. It was more believable than in this movie. Well, that's because he was, you know... A kid, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but still... And it was you, a comedy. As, and an, <laughs> as an actor <laughs> ages like fine wine, his acting should get better. Sadly, Carrie always did not age like fine wine. He yeah, got he got that special kind of British puffy that, that <laughs> like happens <Val> sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what Val Kilmer's that's excuse was. That's naturally comedic. Yeah, oh. well. Yeah. Um, no, I, I honestly thought he did a really good job. I liked yeah. it. I didn't have a problem with the movie. I actually... I watched it a few days ago, uh, and then I rewatched it again today after my workday ended. So, because thank you Hulu, I appreciate it. I, I mean, have it on disc. he saw it, he saw it off his own foot. Yeah, those facial expressions. A, were, I, I, I didn't the, see yeah. that as overacting. I saw that as a man sawing off was, a limb. He was just. <laughs> 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 I was. I, I thought I, you were going to do Eddie Vedder there for a <laughs> second. <laughs> I I start, I went to go see this movie in the theater when I oh god what year was this two thousand four so it was twenty four wow was I yeah that I was, was twenty four at the time and a bunch of us went to the back and we smuggled like two twelve packs of beer in our trench coats because mm-hmm. that's what we did at the time and we just sat in the back got drunk and laughed at the whole fucking thing most of it I thought was uh, there were actually some really good interesting points but Elwes he just killed it for me i was like this is and not in the good way no in the funny way i i was like i don't think that it was meant to be as funny as we found it you see i thought danny glover did a worse job than Elvis when he, he was pretending in, to go crazy he, oh my god i i I, I, I thought that i thought he did a good job but danny glover was like do you know who you're dealing with here <laughs> there, there, well there are, there are reasons for that that i'll that i'll get into uh but saw is pretty groundbreaking on its own i mean it, it is perhaps one of the most groundbreaking films of the modern horror genre i mean do you agree with that no like modern no no really no i do not but i think it was an excellent movie okay what about you jessica i think that it was really cool the suspense part of it and that it was well thought out and that Jigsaw has everything planned out. Like he's always a step ahead of whatever is happening. And I think that's what is like more scary to me rather than just gore, mm-hmm. that it actually has like a thought out intention to it. The psychological aspect of it. Yeah. So I that's what's interesting to me. But anyways, Matthew. We keep saying torture porn though, and I, I, I honestly just don't feel that this is this is torture porn. No, I agree. I I, I mean I, that's what it's the series, as. yes. But the first yeah. one, no. Yeah, after no. after the third one, because writer like the third or fourth one, the writers changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. The same crew wasn't on for parts one, two, and three. So then it, the production company saw that it was a cash cow. Yeah, and it became torture porn. It really did because, and I'll this, get into the budget had, of everything, and you'll see this how had things to have, have been grown. a cash cow because we're looking at what like five, six sets. Uh, well, it's turned into eight movies. Yeah, now. but I mean, there's a couple of hall just to film this one. A couple of hallways. There's the bathroom. There's the cop shop. Yeah, ninety percent of the movie. Yeah, ninety percent of the movie was the warehouse. Yeah, so and I mean, they were locked in. I mean, there's like one digital readout, mm-hmm. one camera behind. Oh, we're gonna glass. get to the budget. I mean, and it, you're it, gonna it, wa- be a wow on this one. 
I, uh, I wish I'd come up with this idea <laughs> because this is this was a brilliant low budget filmmaking. It was, and one of the things to kind of understand what about Saw and where it's going is look at the production company logo that itself. Oh yeah, uh, the the squeezing barbed wire yeah, torturing the pictures. The, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's an it's, it's an ensnared by coils and nasty looking barbed wire, and then they're impaled by a metal spike. Yeah, I, I expected the letters to go. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> kind of like the Pixar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the <laughs> Saw series itself has become the highest grossing horror franchise in history, uh, spawning numerous sequels and a mound of merchandise. And it also has a roller coaster that's named after it now, if you can believe that. A Where? roller coaster. There's a Where? Saw roller coaster. Where is coaster. it roller coaster? I couldn't find any details on it. I didn't look that deep because I didn't care. <laughs> Now I'm really curious though uh, about that. I, w- I will send. I'll look for it and I'll send you the information. How you tall want. do you have to be to ride? <laughs> I'm sure you can probably get on it. You're 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 not like totally too short, so I think you're 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 fine. Yeah, different artist entirely. Gagunk. <laughs> that was bad. That was bad. Totally too short. I got his last album. So uh, this movie, the two that wrote it and directed it, uh, James Wan who directed it, and Lee Whannell, who's actually in the movie as the other guy with Carrie Elways. Uh, he he co-wrote the movie. Oh. Uh, met at film school in Melbourne uh, in the late 90s. And as Winnell said in an interview, the school was, quote, a really artsy-fartsy film school with lots of black nail polish and berets and guys making films about vaginas and sand. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that so was, film school. It yeah, was so film, film school. school. Yeah, he also noted that his future film partner... So it was like Twilight. If, if you oh, go to film school... nicely oh. done. Air bump. Uh, <laughs> um... <laughs> so he uh, well also noted that James Wan would quote get up and show his films and they'd be about zombies. It was like the only person that was doing zombies against this backdrop of sand and you know everything else. Uh, so they pulled him aside after class one day and said, "You are my film soulmate." And then they became really good friends. And uh, this the it's a very saw, touching ceremony. I know exactly. Saw uh, <laughs> came out of their own like low horror budget idea. Sorry, I never have soda. I am out of Old Granddad. I didn't want to drive with it. We're in a different studio tonight, and I am drinking caffeine free Coca Cola. You are going to be burping all night long, and uh, it's you are my podcast it's, it's, soulmate. It's, it's, it's like one hundred. Honestly, <laughs> not bad. <laughs> it's like one hundred and thirty calories a can, thirty grams of sugar. 40. I don't even know. It, it doesn't matter. The point is that it's something. I think know, the cookies are probably more than. <laughs> brought to you by Coca Cola and Aspartame. <laughs> yeah. Aspartame. <laughs> so they wanted to do a movie that had no huge cast, no fancy sets, just three actors. <laughs> I, I could just see. No, no, no. I just want to see a sponsor cut from Aspartame. I, how, how do you do that? Aspartame. I don't think we've sunk that low. <laughs> Absolutely yet. not going to give you cancer. Now back to the show, Bob. <laughs> something like Neil deGrasse Tyson or something. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Dusty. No, it's okay. It, we... it's, totally, this is, it's totally fine. So one of the things with the, with the cheapness of it, that's kind of what makes it special to me. Uh, it kind of looks like in the same vein of the Evil Dead series, the first one, if you guys remember that. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that's one that of my che- favorite movies of all time. It has that cheap look to it, and a cheap grainy look, and it's, it's, uh, I love it. This is 04? Yeah, this was 04. So you're talking like 10 megapixels top. This wasn't filmed digitally, was it? No, 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 no. Actually, the first film to be filmed digitally was Tom Cruise's Collateral. That was the first film to be filmed digitally. Okay. Which was a couple, which was like a year later. Okay. So going into the cast, we have 
Leigh Whannell, again, I always butcher names, who's also one of the writers. He played Adam Faulkner, the one that's in the room. Uh, what do you guys think his alignment was? Adam? Yeah. Ooh, that's hard. I didn't actually think about this, and I should have. All right. So he hid from him. He hid the picture from him. Mm-hmm. But that was because the very opening thing, I mean, he has reason. This yeah. man is going to kill you if you want to get out. Fuck. Uh, I think he was. I think he was fairly neutral through most of the. Yeah. Through most of it. I he, like that he was secretive because it added to the movie. Yes. He snuck pictures. Chaotic neutral, maybe. So I'm actually going to take this to a different game, and we've talked about Palladium many times. Uh, Listeners, by now you should have read Palladium books. I'm going to say Palladium Anarchist. See, I don't know anything about Palladium. So Palladium Anarchist is like true selfish. Bring it back he to was D&D. true selfish. Yeah, I'm going to say save D&D. Um, I'm going to be the man on Palladium then. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go chaotic neutral. All right, Jessica? He was neutral. He, I saw him as he was just trying to survive and didn't want to disclose anything, especially after someone's going to kill you. True <laughs> neutral. I'd go with true neutral. Okay. Then we have Carrie Elways, who plays Dr. Lawrence Gordon, who was also in The Princess Bride, as always. Mm-hmm. Uh, behaving badly, he was the voice of Aquaman in the Justice League, The Flashpoint Paradox. Is he still alive? Yes, yeah. he is. Uh, Hellgate, Ella Enchanted, and the... Twister, the tornado movie. And 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 what else? Aside from Saw. It's Men in Tights. Yeah, I didn't want to put that in. Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Come on, yeah, dude. It's a great movie. It's great. Because I already had like, you know, eight. So yeah, but you, you chose, but you chose Hood, Twister in over <laughs> Men in Tights. <laughs> Where they're manly men. In tights. Manly men. <laughs> yes. Tight tights. Uh okay, so running around the forest oh. looking for fights. Yeah. Fights. <laughs> I was, so I was, I was like apparently fancies, but what did you say or else we'll put out your lights. <laughs> I was wrong this afternoon. I, I was like, I really didn't think that you guys were that big into that movie. I was like, oh, I'm not going to add right, it. All right, all right. Red Dwarf, Monty Python, and any comedy that involves swords. Okay. I, mean, like that, that's, I mean, we're all what are you, what are you, I mean, What are you doing up there? there. <laughs> Guessing. <laughs> Guessing there's nobody coming. I, like other actors, can speak with an English accent. <laughs> That was a great movie. Yeah. Okay. Um, as for his character, though, I'd say, I'd say lawful good. Really? Did, Even though he was cheating on his he wife? He did not. He booked oh, a hotel okay, room. Good point. Good point. And then okay. his sense of rules came in and he walked away. I'll go with it. All lawful right. good. All I right. think yeah. so. Yeah. Right. Jessica? Is there like a pretentious, arrogant? Lawful good. <laughs> like, okay. That <laughs> not necessarily, that but that is lawful good with a character trait of douche. Yeah. Because that's kind of how I saw him, was that he thought he was a god, and then all of a sudden he was chained to a pipe. And I, I think didn't that's really all get doctors, that. yeah. Really? I think, so, I think some of that is you. how much, uh, and he was a surgeon specifically. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, the brain he surgeon. He did say that. So how how close can you get to someone before you lay them open with a knife? Well, how, you remember the scene that he was strangers. a surgeon. Yeah. And he didn't even know the guy's name. It didn't care. And even one of the guys was like, hey, his name is John. And he was like, I don't give a fuck. Like, yeah, I don't and care. He, yeah, you have to I, I disagree. Like that distance, That's that true. You, you, you absolutely do not want to get too close to your people. Because if you feel for the person you are literally about to cut open, you know, that, that, that adds stress to, to yeah blockage. That makes sense. Okay, so I'll say. I see that as an occupational hazard myself. Yeah. You I also guess thought so. Cosmo was the hero. 
Oh God, here we. You go. guys are too fucking. Don't goody hey, stop shoes. saying you guys because I wasn't going to go into it. I, I wasn't even going to bring that. You were up. there at the time. You're already okay, Matthew. I think lawful. What about you? What do you think? He already said. He said lawful, lawful good. good. Oh, okay, yeah. then we all agree. And you, Jessica Dusty? said. Yeah, I think he's lawful good. Yeah, I'm gonna Dusty. have to agree. Uh, oh, yeah. Right. Oh my God, we agreed on something. <laughs> then huzzah! We ha- huzzah! Yes. And then Danny Glover, uh, Detective David Tapp, Chaotic who neutral. was in all of the Lethal Weapon movies, Dirty Grandpa, Day of the Mummy, Death at a Funeral, the U.S. version, not the U.K. version. Uh, one of my personal favorite bad movies, 2012. Flight of the Intruder, and I think one of Nathaniel's favorites, Predator 2. It's a great movie. Yeah, oh, I forgot he was in that. Yep. He was great in that. Yep. Mm-hmm. But Lethal Weapon 2 will always be my favorite. Of that series, I have to agree that with that. That fucking toilet scene. I yeah. honestly, yeah, I think I think Lethal Weapon 2 is the superior one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fucking love me. Ka- I, I'll Glover. go with Chaotic Good. I'm going Chaotic Neutral. I'm going to go Chaotic Neutral. Man lost his shit. Yeah, he well, did. After okay. getting his throat Again, sliced. Insanity, yeah. not necessarily an alignment trait, more of a character trait. Like, I would say that he was actions kind of a good person, but we for didn't the really most part, get good or bad. We just saw him kind of doing a. He a was thing just doing his well. job. Yeah, that yeah. was. I didn't see any any like real moral. Other than other than that character. whole thing of where I had you, I shouldn't have let you go. Yeah, yeah. That was really that was his only real focal point. I think was I had you, I had you. Yeah, That's I think chaotic neutral somewhere in between. It's hard to tell his motives. I think his motives <laughs> were just more like revenge. And I don't know, like I'm going to get yeah. you. Motherfucker. Yeah, if, if this was the part that's you know edited or not, but. We spoke earlier about how he was kind of dialing it in mm-hmm. on this one. He phoned so, it in, in my opinion, yeah. So I think he just gets put to NPC status. Really? Yeah. Actually, I'll agree with that. I don't think he really fit into the, the it's setup certainly as, not, as a He certainly character. wouldn't be a player, no. Yeah. I actually thought that his assistant, that was only in a couple of scenes early on, uh, the female assistant, uh, Dina Meyer, Carrie, was a better character and had a better setup for a character. She should have been Danny Glover's character in my opinion through that whole part yeah uh she outside of the saw franchise because she's been in several of them uh she was in starship troopers she was Love dizzy that movie. yes uh johnny mnemonic birds of prey the television series that ended quickly uh she was in star trek nemesis stranger than fiction and Dragonheart. who was she in johnny mnemonic i don't remember off the top of my head she was johnny no she wasn't oh, okay yeah that makes sense <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Alignment on on Carrie, the very brief bit that we I saw. I didn't of get her. enough to get it. The, yeah, the redhead. Not that yeah. Did I. Okay. No. And then we have Ken Le- Leung, uh, Detective Steven Singh, uh, who is currently starring in Marvel's The Inhumans. He was in The Force Awakens, Lost, The Sopranos, AI, Artificial Intelligence, and Keeping the Faith, to name a few movies. He was Danny Glover's partner. Yeah, I'm also going to say NPC, but just for sake of argument, I'll say Chaotic Good. From I mean, what I, I saw, they all were yeah. To be a cop, you, I think you kind of have to be. Uh, let's not open that can of worms. <laughs> okay. I would agree with that though. He was just adding the chaos. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really get a read on him. I mean, he invited him out to to fucking go have drinks. He seemed pleasant. Yeah, uh, he was willing to back his guy up uh, on a extra judi- judicial uh, search. So I, I'm going to go with chaotic good because he went out of his way. Yeah. To and and went around the law to do what he conceived the right thing. Yeah, I, I'll go with that. Sure, but once again, I'm I'm going to say NPC. So it's it's really only two. There's really only two characters here. Yeah, it's true. The movie was directed by James Wan, and initially he did a short film of just like ten or fifteen minutes of this as a proof of concept for any of the studios. And he sent Carrie Elway's 
the short film on DVD, and Elways immediately became interested in the film itself. I'd be curious to actually see that. Now, hey, was Elways the first person that he signed on to this movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wanted oh. Carrie Elways, yeah. That's who he... he any reason why specifically? There was nothing I could mine on that. He was actually. hot at the time. Just a, he's just a Princess Bride fanboy. Yeah, I think so. Okay. No, I mean yeah. he was in a lot of things. Or maybe a, a mid and tights yeah, fanboy. Carrie, Carrie always has a very large body of work. Yeah, and uh, he's a very good actor. I think he's underused. It's just it's more. Yeah, like I wouldn't say he's an over actor. <laughs> oh wow! So Carrie always <laughs> read the, the script. Held. He read it in one <laughs> sitting, and was drawn in by the uniqueness and, re- and originality of that story. So he says. And to prepare for his role as the oncologist, he actually met uh, with a doctor at UCLA's Department of Neurosurgery, if I can get that word out properly. So he did take the role actually pretty seriously, which is really which is really interesting. On the actual other role, we need to circle back on the cast, actually. Okay. What you got? Uh, I completely forgot. To Mr. Tobin Bell, Jigsaw himself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of need that one. Little bit. I, so. I have a weird question. Sure. Did he not breathe during that whole time, or what? How, how did that work out? Because if you're sitting there and an hour's passed, uh, it was two hours. Cause yeah, because it, it started nothing, at four o'clock. Yeah, nothing. He didn't didn't move. The breathe? only thing I can think of is that maybe hours? he injected himself with. Um, oh, I forget the name of it, but the stuff that can slow your heart rate down to make it seem like you're dead. No. And then he just lays there. And I think well, what would be the point? I think maybe he was just really good at shallow breathing. There's that because he did shock the guy a couple of times because you see it in his hand at the yeah. end of the end of the movie. So my thought, but I mean, maybe, maybe when he, he shocked how, him, that's when he. Took how a did breath. he do that? <laughs> how, how how did he do that though? I mean, because there was the thing in his hand, mm-hmm. the, the tape recorder in one hand, and in the other hand was the gun. So where was the zappy? I mean, unless I it has a that big zappy, soft button that you can keep honestly, in your crotch and just oh, this is this actually, is really good for me. I'm, I'm about to press the button. I have, I have a, actually, I just came up with a theory. I think he had the zappy hanging down a big deep plot hole right there, in front <laughs> <of> the <laughs> rider yeah. hole. No, I'm, I'm just yeah. I'm just curious on that because I I liked it. That's the kind of twist that M Night Shyamalan gets in a fever d- opium dream and wishes he could actually pull off because that was good stuff. The reveal <laughs> when that happened mm-hmm. and the music, the which I think by now, if you've seen the rest of the movies, is now known like the reveal music. Mm-hmm. I think it has its own yeah. name. That track when that played. That was the one time that me and my friends were not laughing at this movie. We're like, "Oh, the oh music, the, that's cool!" The music, the music was great for it. We and, did and, not and, see that and coming. I will definitely get to but, that in but, a little bit. But that reveal of him actually being like, "Oh, by the way, I'm the bad guy this whole time, and I've been right here." All of us, the entire theater, because we saw this yeah. opening night, was like, <gasps> "Motherfuck!" There was multiple swears in the theater that night, and a screaming baby. And also, that pissed me off. You can get through a lock in two hours with a fucking nail file. Yeah, let yeah, alone was, a that, hacksaw. That was another, you know, thing that I was like, "Yeah, that's uh, what? What did I miss?" He was just making some faces on this microphone. I was okay. blowing the mic. Uh, okay, getting I right on that D. At, okay, yeah, well, okay. Uh, on taking the role <laughs> of Jigsaw, Dobin Bell said that he saw, he did saw, because he thought it was a fascinating location for a film to be made. The guys that were locked in the room, to him, was a fresh idea. It was innovative. Yeah, uh, I never saw that before. He did not anticipate the ending when he read the script, and he said that, quote, I was so caught by surprise, and it was clear to me that the filmmakers shot the scene well. The audience would be caught by surprise. Also, the film was worth doing for that moment alone. I can attest to that. Yeah. That moment made it worthwhile. That was we, a great payoff. We felt that we had earned our money. Once because, again, M. Yeah, Night. Or they the had village? earned our money. 
so it, it, I liked the village. Yeah, well, you but, would. But again, I didn't go into. I didn't actually. Every M Night Shyamalan movie I've seen, except for Unbreakable, I went into not knowing oh, it was God, an M Night Shyamalan sucks. movie. That's Unbreakable true. was they, one they of my can, favorite movies. Oh, God, they they can sucks. trick you. He's very sneaky. Like so that. I was sucked into the moment. I wasn't actually looking for a twist. Mm. So I was in that. So this can actually be tied to M Night Shyamalan in a yeah, but let's very not. weird way. I'm going okay. to. <laughs> uh, initially, this movie uh, Saw was supposed to be. In an elevator, using three camera setup in an elevator, uh, yeah. but the the director and the writers, the, the two writers, they did. They said, "We know that's kind of, it's a little too lame. It's too close quarters. I don't know. We did. They didn't know if they could get what they wanted out of it, so they scrapped that idea." Now, six years later, M Night Shyamalan produces <laughs> Devil, which is is that premise shot in a in a elevator using three corner cameras. I can tie it into Archer. Okay. Ten please. years later, Archer does a thing where six of them are stuck in an yeah. elevator, and the only thing that can save them is their toast-making copier robot. God, why do I do this again? Toast-making copier robot. <laughs> it was directed by James Wan. Uh, it was his directorial debut. Oh, really? It was originally supposed to be a direct-to-video release. I, I have a question. Sure. Uh, who was the cinematographer? Because I was honestly very impressed by some of the shots I the saw The cinematographer there. was David A. Armstrong. There's, there's, there's this one. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, it's about three quarters in, and they, they push in on the man being pursued, and he turns, and they come back, and it was so smooth and so very well done, and I loved it, and it was pretty. <laughs> He's done uh, several, multiple movies as cinematographer. <laughs> he did the uh, Saw series up to Saw 5. What, what, did he do anything before this? That uh, I mean? Hellraiser Revelations. Oh. And The Lodger. I mean, he also ha- actually has a lot of movies. But yeah. These were the, the he he was really good. That was one of the things that caught me. He did a about good job this, with it. That, uh, okay, no, tell me, why? What did you think was good about it? I didn't notice okay. anything special there was, about uh, the cinematography. Spin combined with slow-mo combined with blur. When they're going around the person in the barbed wire... Like that, the camera is moving around. That was an amazing oh, yeah. shot. When and the guy's the going up, down the, the alley and the camera goes straight in, turns, and as he turns, it comes back. That was a real hard shot. It's the simpler ones, and the simpler ones that combine motion are really hard to do. Okay, good to know. Now this is this this was pretty incredible from that standpoint. I thought it was amazing. But back to the director, Dusty, as you fill your mouth with water. Yes, yeah, do you. it now. <laughs> uh, the, uh, this was James Wan's directorial debut, and it was originally supposed to be a direct-to-video release, but the studio had liked what they saw on the meager budget that, that they had given and what and the amount of time that it was shot, and they decided to put it into a major rotation. James Wan uh, also filmed Dead Silence, uh, The Conjuring, parts one and two, Insidious, parts one and two, Okay, that was a good, yeah. Uh, I like that one. Furious Part 7, the you know the Fast and the Furious Part 7. And he oh. is currently filming Aquaman with Jason Momoa. Yeah. So those that is that is part of his resume as of right now. You guys were talking about movies I've never heard of, so then I was like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Not many people have heard of some, most of the ones that get rattled off. Yeah, this is true. Honestly, Before you get to one movie that all of us can agree on to that, that we know, so many people work on such little itty bitty things, you know. Mm. That's what IMDb is all about. It's just a list of what people have worked on. And it's that's the where I mine so much stuff. And we have to do very special caution to avoid a movie that might make Matthew's head explode because of a certain person. 
So, oh, what like Star Wars? Sure. That's a good head explode, though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a That's trilogy of head explosions. Yeah. yeah. At least. No, very specifically, a person who played the other Robin Hood. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, well. The screenplay itself was written in 2001, but after the f- many failed attempts to get the script produced, uh, Wan and Wano's home country of Australia, they were actually urged to travel to L.A., and in order to help attract producers, the, they shot the low-budget short film first of the same name from a scene out of the script that we talked about earlier. This proved successful, and in 2003, producers from Evolution Entertainment were immediately attached and also formed the horror genre production label Twisted Pictures, which is that logo, logo that we see in the very beginning. The production of the movie, principal photography began on September 22nd, in 2003, and then it wrapped, and surprisingly, 18 days later. So it took 18 days to film the movie. That was it. I, wait, what? 18 days to film the movie. Oh, God, I wish I had thought of this. this I, it was brilliant. For what? Was it directorial debut? Yeah, directorial yeah. debut. Directorial debut, new production company, guys just out of fucking goddamn film school. From Australia. From Australia. Australian mm-hmm. film school, no less. Yeah. Sand and vaginas. Fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bathroom was the only set that actually had to be built. Yeah, everything was else it. was location. So the production cost of Saw, I'll get into that real quick. Hold on. So the bathroom. Mm-hmm. You guys saw Saw 2, right? The Not recently. Movie. Not recently. They come back to that set. Yeah. With the dead bodies in the hall and mm-hmm. all that. Oh, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. It was a brilliant follow-up. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, you haven't seen the second movie? Like, no, it's not for over a decade. Like, they, follow up. they follow up with it. You find Carrie Elwes dead in the hallway from blood loss. He didn't actually make it anywhere. You find mm-hmm. the other guy still dead in the room, his body. Like People in Saw 2 find the scene of Saw 1. It's actually pretty fucking cool. So I mm-hmm. saw the first Saw in the theater when it came out, and I liked it. But I really didn't care enough when the second one came out, and uh, so they all came out. So when Saw 3D came out, like in t- 2009 <laughs> or 2010, something like that, my my girlfriend at the time, she was a huge horror fan. She's like, we need to go and watch this movie. I was like, I, I, ha- I don't know about any of the other movies. So she said, okay, well, let's sit down and watch all of them. So we power binged all of the Saw movies in like one day, and then saw the new one the next, uh-huh. you know, the next day. Yeah, my brain kind of hurt after watching that much because it did. You, you, if you sit and watch all of them back to back, you see the progression into torture porn. It's it's a very steep delta at that point. I'm naturally whenever I see horror films, I'm the one under the blanket. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> whenever it gets to the point where something's about to happen, you hear that, and I'm mm-hmm. just like, nope. Okay, <laughs> I'm done. I want to go home. So, so there are there are varying reports uh, for this movie on the budget. Uh, one site said that it was as little as seven hundred thousand dollars to do this movie, and then another site said that it was one point two million. Easily half of that had to have been actors, though. Probably they all needed a paycheck. So between seven hundred thousand and one point two million uh, for the production cost. The opening weekend return uh, domestically. Uh, I'm sorry. The opening weekend return was eighteen point two million. The domestic box office as a whole was $55.9 million, and the international box office was $47.9 million. Oh, my God. That's a grand fucking wow. slam. The sales and rentals, the film went on to sell uh, more than another $70 million in rentals and uh, video yeah. sales. 
So it did it did pretty well. I mean, it spawned a whole series every Halloween, kind of like the Purge. Yeah, every, yeah, they they do that, don't every they? They release Fourth one. of July now. Yeah. So uh, movies that came out the same. God, month. I want to do the Purge. Not like the movie. I just want to do that in real life. I, I just want to. Well, yeah. I just, <laughs> it seems I'm, like a really good idea, right? Seriously, there's some Maybe there are some issues society <laughs> cannot address, and I am prepared to address them. Movies that were released in the same month as Saw. We start with The Machinist with Christian Bale. After that, we have uh, Johnny Depp in Finding Neverland. Eh. Uh, Team America: World Police. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> good movie, but I don't know how well it did in theaters. I mean, I, I wasn't looking at the number, so I'm yeah. just with around the same time. Shark Tale with Will Smith, the animated movie. Uh, Sideways with Paul Giamatti, which is a, an amazing film if you ever get a chance to watch it. And the two movies that were released on the same weekend is saw Johnny Depp's The Hollow, which is uh, for the Ichabod Crane. Oh, that's the Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, it's a Sleepy Hollow with. Uh, wasn't it called Sleepy Hollow? No, it was just The Hollow. No, no there was a movie Hollow. called Sleepy oh, Hollow with Johnny, Johnny Depp. Depp. Oh, this was another movie called The Hollow with Johnny Depp. Yeah. All right. I don't know that one. It was uh, one of the last Johnny Depp movies I really liked. And Sleepy then, Hollow? Yeah. yeah. It was pretty good. And then Ray with Jamie Foxx. So in Sleepy Is Hollow. Is Jamie Foxx still alive? Yeah. Yeah. He <laughs> was in Collateral, right? Yeah. 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 See, I fucking love that movie. It's a great movie. But yeah. To show you what 700 to $1.2 million brings for a movie... These are the movies not adjusting for inflation that cost around the same. You have Friday the 13th, part two, back from, you know, the 80s. Yeah. Chud. <laughs> yeah, Chud. I yeah. love that movie. <laughs> so bad. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Ah. Wait a second. Sorry. You're going with returns or, or costs? No, cost. this is cost. Cost to make. This Rocky movie was cheap, man. This movie cost as much as Rocky Horror Picture Rocky Show. Rocky Horror Picture Show was one point two million to make. I thought it cost like five hundred dollars. That movie was <laughs> yeah, okay. They spent five hundred dollars in tights, I think, man. I think I think a million <laughs> of that is went not to cheap. Tim Curry. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sure, why not? Uh Super Troopers. <laughs> Gold LeMay doesn't come cheap. <laughs> Every day is a great day in Gold LeMay. <laughs> uh Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, yeah, that's another one that did, yeah. And Dracula, Pages from a Virgin's Diary. That's the actual name of that movie. I want to watch that movie now because that sounds <laughs> Again, fantastic. I don't know that one, yeah. but I did like Dracula Dead and Loving It. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> that was awful. Oh, that's just so horrible. I liked a lot of the psychological aspects of this show that mm-hmm. were done silently as they're sitting there trying to figure out whether to trust or whether to gain an advantage over somebody or trying to figure out what the hell was going on. There was a lot of really interesting parts in this show for me uh, for that. And one of the things I really liked about it was a lot of it was left unsaid. Mm -hmm. Would you say that there might have been a mounting Siri feeling of dread? I would. Excellent. Um, Matthew, you were talking about psychological themes. They're starting to. I was, and then I ate cheese. I don't care anymore. (laughs) Okay. That's the whole point why I love this movie. The right. psychology. Got? I got, okay, so I think the basis of the mystery of this is they don't really know anything about Jigsaw, but they build the character so well in that he actually, they don't mention this in the film, but I read up on it a little bit, in that he almost has a near-death experience, and then he has this huge like rebirth of realizing how time is so important. And that he realized this is a disease that so many people don't see what he sees. So there's this You're like... You're talking about the cancer that Jigsaw has? Yeah, yeah. the brain tumor. So yeah. he ends up getting a brain tumor and they say, you're going to die. But then he ends up 
surviving. Right. But then after that, he's like, wow, I want to share this feeling of like revitalization. And then the characters, even there's a dra- drug addict, this girl that he puts a bear claw, like straps it into her jaw and that says, you're going to die. Yeah. And everything's timed. So it goes back into like being grateful for the time that you have and that you either fight to survive within that time or you die. So Just that's the same the thing as in like Fight Club when he holds up that clerk and he's like, that man tomorrow oh, will yeah. never feel more yeah. alive. That is, mm-hmm. his cereal will taste amazing. What are you going breakfast? to college yeah. for? Yeah, yeah. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like the psychology, like the will to live and to see, like there's a sadistic side of me that likes to see people squirm when they actually have to. And that's like the part that makes me so excited to see people that they're just doing their day to day. They're going to like to their car in the parking lot and they're snatched up by Jigsaw and everything changes. Yeah. Anyways. I got to think about that a lot. When I saw this movie, after the drunkenness faded away and the comedy sort of subsided, and I saw the the ones that followed it, it did make me think, what would I do if that were happened? What would I be caught for? What would my crime be that Jigsaw would try and judge me for? Oh. Well, let me let me let Let's me rephrase that. He wouldn't. He wouldn't <laughs> exactly. Jigsaw mine, wouldn't I'm judge not putting me. Putting it on the internet. <laughs> J- Jigsaw wouldn't judge me or you. He would make you judge yourself for your own crime. Essentially, what would mine be? And it, I got to think about it a lot. And while I'm not going to say what it is, yeah, I was going to say I'm not playing this game. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> Where I'm going is it. This movie did make me think about that a lot more. Mm. How intense am I doing wrong to myself? Because it's vulnerable. Yeah. It's like the deepest, darkest part of you is brought out and you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck is wrong with me? And how can I make it so that I can fix that and not have some crazy serial killer put his eyes on me and put me in a fucking box with a room with glass and needles? Yeah. I kinda, is it wrong that I kind of want that, though? possibly have like a jigsaw puzzle piece of your skin with the serial killer I, i'm okay with that like um <laughs> the, the the part of me that's uber civilized is barely like skin deep to have like another real because i've had lots of real visceral experiences in my life but to have another one especially as i'm like settling into a career and whatnot that's strangely attractive yeah I, I, you're civilized for my fuck, matthew Daily routine, <laughs> and then suddenly, boom. Yeah, and then it blows up. I'm, I'm just Justin, saying, it might be fun. The interesting thing that you made, the, uh, that you guys made comment about, you know, coming from where this this movie actually came from, the psychology behind it, uh, the the character of Jigsaw actually was a result of migraines. Uh, did you guys know that at any point? I did not. All right. That was how he found the count cancer? No, or? no. The, the, the director and the writers, uh, they were working a job. Uh, 1L was working a job that he disliked when he began having terrible migraines. And being someone that I get really bad migraines, I get, I get retinal migraines, so I, I know exactly what this is like. He was convinced that he had a brain tumor. And 1L went in for an MRI and began fantasizing about what he would do if he was told he only had a limited amount of time to live. He later applied this to the character of Jigsaw that he created and pondered what the psychotic person would do if they only had a small amount of time and what his victims would do if they were placed in an even more dire situation. So that kind of follows along with what you were. That was so pretty. I was going for elegance. (laughs) Apparently, I'm civilized. (laughs) You need some Grey Poupon. That'll make you even more civilized. Smear it on your gums. (laughs) 
or yes, Nathaniel or the nipples. <laughs> but that's what I think he is going for is that, I mean, there's like hypochondriacs, you know, that are mm. like, oh, what would it be like if I had some serious disease or I only had so much time to live or terminally ill? And then you kind of question it. You know, you're like, oh, like I only have so much more time to live and what can I do with that? And what can I give? Yeah. Doing podcasts is one thing. It's it's a pretty good thing. Yeah. I like that. I'm just going to say, though. Seize the day. If, yeah. if, you, if you have a hacksaw. Do a podcast about it. <laughs> Let us know how it you, sounds you have, when you cut you your have, limbs off. You have two hacksaws, really. One broken. Yeah, There's you broke a- the fuck out of that one. There is absolutely no way you could not get out of that. No. I mean, hey, how about we just put the gun down and uh, write off the wife and kid, and let's just go ahead and sit down here for two hours and cut ourselves fucking free. One of the things I didn't understand was it was it was apparent that that big ass chain was wrapped around a pipe, and there's a couple camera pans that you can see the chain. He could take it up the pipe and climb up everything with it, and make its way over and undo the chain. Why? Anybody that's played Dungeons and Dragons or or any type of role playing game or played any video game would describe the room again. Would look (laughs) at this and go, "Oh, this is fucking easy," and they would get out of it within an hour. Also, the we solved it. We were we were all in a D and D group. Who all of us who went to see it were just like, "Yeah, we want to do that and then that," and you probably just sort of peel off your fingernail and then use it to kind of jimmy the lock and whatnot. I didn't know what their skill levels were though, so. We'll doesn't see. matter. Did you see the pin on the manacles? It was this big. Yeah. So Saw don't go through, through the, the fucking, fucking chain, yeah. you moron. Yeah. What I was questioning most was, so there's that scene where they said, look in the, the where the heart is, and then the tank had a heart on it. The toilet did. Poo heart. And a poo heart, yeah. The first thing oh. I thought was like, why would you put your hand in the first oh, hole? Oh, yeah. Look I was like, that was the first. biggest thing for me that I was like, what are you yeah, doing? It was, it was on the tank, not the fucking bowl. Yeah. <laughs> I would look in the tank before I'd ever put my hand in the mm-hmm. bowl. You know, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, but it's also the realist of like, I'm going to die and they're freaking out. I mean, so it kind of makes sense. I like the line, nothing solid. <laughs> Did you find anything? <laughs> nothing solid. This is a good distinction between player knowledge and character knowledge. Oh, that's this is very true. <laughs> the players of this were probably standard D and D players. They've been through this before, whereas they're like, <clears throat> my character has a wisdom of seven. I'm putting my hand in the hole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if if you're ever in a situation like this and you get the chance to play with play a game with someone who has set up something elaborate, lines of communication. And is trying to teach you a lesson, you go ahead and kill that guy. No, what you do is from this point forward for the entire rest of your life, first, you learn how to pick locks. Second, every day that you wake up, you take a set of lock picks and you shove it up your butt. Because when you wake up after Jigsaw takes you, he's All not right, gonna have checked your butt. I'm gonna need you to put these seeds way <laughs> up your butt. I don't shove think Jigsaw checks your there. butthole. <laughs> Just saying. I can't do a Rick impression. I can't either. They did so well. Oh my god, I know. No, I think if if anybody were to like kidnap any one of us or any just any gamer in general, I think that there would be <laughs> when they find that camera. I just want to get kidnapped because I'm kinky. That's really or all even even before <laughs> you just finding, enjoy the whole thing. Oh no! <laughs> don't tie me to the railroad or tracks. Or even before like <laughs> knowing there's a camera, they'd probably be standing out in the middle of the room going. Bitch, do you know I play video games that have this same scenario in every other room? You know I'm going to get out in 15 minutes. Just unlock the door. 
Yeah. I haven't murdered my dog yet. <laughs> and that dog drives me goddamn <laughs> insane. <laughs> what the fuck? That was a and hell of a right turn. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I have one of the world's most annoying dogs. Which one? Because I like both your dogs. I like them too, but they are annoying. Well, yeah, they're yapper dogs. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Reed. I like your dogs. <laughs> I don't think she listens. Not to this one. She this stopped. Still going back. in the outtake. <laughs> but I mean, I'd have to say that going back to like the melodrama that you felt he he had. I mean, this was a man who was taken out of a very ordered and organized life and thrust into an extraordinary situation. I'm not surprised that the Elway's character just lost his fucking shit. I, I honestly, I still think that was a very accurate depiction. Yeah. Of how a person who is, you know, because to, to reach neurosurgeon height, you have a very ordered, very calm, very focused life. And when you see someone lose their shit, it's, it's not pretty. It's not elegant. It's someone losing their shit. And I thought, I thought he did a great depiction of that. I don't know where my dog comes into this. I just wanted to mention that it woke me up last night and I don't like it right now. <laughs> I wonder if he had, still had student loans. <laughs> Probably. No, wait. Was this the 90s? This was 2004. Yeah, they, they had rules about that. There's a little bit of a recession, right? Yeah, well, not yet. Not in 2004. That's true. Not for another it was four before years. before the recession. <laughs> <laughs> so he had that nice Beamer and probably... He had a very small office, so I don't think he was a very well-paid oncologist. Yeah, I think like that was more budgetary. Well, yeah, but for the story itself, he had a, a very small office. Yeah. Yeah, that, and then even you're right. The just the such a small, and they were they had the X-rays and stuff, but it wasn't like a hospital or anything. It was just a small clinic. Just, yeah, it would look like it just. Your, it kind of looked like a free clinic almost, which yeah. is probably the only place they could pay to film. Probably, <laughs> you know? there was no rehearsal time for any of the actors in this movie. And you had mentioned early on that kind of the acting on Carrie Elway's, you know, it was kind of lackluster. Uh, no. The, Danny Glover. Danny Glover. Sorry. Excuse me, Danny Glover. Uh, I was the one who thought Carrie Elwes right. was overacting. The movie was filmed, as I said, in 18 days. The actors and production team didn't set up any rehearsal time whatsoever for this movie. Uh, it was pretty much show up, do your shit, and then end for the day. Uh, Danny Glover and Shawnee Smith each completed their scenes in a single day of filming. Oh, yeah. Uh, which one was he? He was the other? Shawnee Smith. Smith? No, okay. Shawnee Smith was the drug addict girl okay. with the, with the lockjaw. Yeah, the I can trap. Bear trap. Yeah, the bear trap. Yeah. And the puppet itself uh, was made a couple of years before the movie was even written by the director. He created the puppet on his own, where a lot of people thought he bought it from like an antique store and he changed it. No, that was his own creation. He sewed it, made it a little puppet, and it was his own thing, which I kind of thought was interesting. There was something that I read uh, was that this movie is basically a cheap bargain basement of seven. Did this come out first or second? Seven came out well before this movie. Ah. Seven was 90s, wasn't it? Yeah, it was late 90s. What's and, in the box? Yeah, and, and for me as a writer, I can definitely see it. Seven uh, was just a very well-constructed film. And if you're writing a thriller, it can't hurt to study other similar films. But in terms of the story, though, I, I never really felt that Seven was that close to Saw. But I guess if you stand back, you have two detectives chasing a psychopath who uses vile methods to teach people, you know, lessons. They've been doing that since Western. Oh, I I know, I know. And there are points that kind of echo Seven. What I always liked about Saw, though, was the fact that the story is told from the point of view of the two of the psychopath's victims instead of the police chasing after him, like in Seven or other movies. 
And then two, what's interesting is that he is a serial killer that doesn't actually kill his victims. Like, all Mm -hmm. of them kill themselves. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, they make, you know, a broad distinction with that. I think that's kind of tautology, though. I mean. Yeah? Yeah. If you're placing someone in a position where they're easily killed, you're killing them. I mean. That's just yeah. the way. I mean, yeah, but you didn't pull the trigger. Oh, that's, or, that's or, true. You know. I, I dropped you in the middle of this barbed wire hell and told you you had this much time to get out, but I didn't hurt you. Well, I mean, there that's is the, the kidnapping. Part. I mean, yeah, there is the kidnapping <laughs> aspect. I mean, everything else that goes along with it, but yeah, getting out of that razor wire. Oh God, that would hurt. I'm just saying, charging I'm, through that razor wire. I'm no just thanks. a fan of anyone who makes less people. I'm I'm just not a big <laughs> fan of people to begin with, and. I think we have a lot of them, and I think we should have less. Apparently, you're not a fan of dogs either. Oh, oh, no, no, I feel bad. I like dogs. I'm just, I'm unhappy with you if you wake me up on the hour every hour. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would. That, my cats do that from time to then time. Then I might say something hurtful. You like made the comment- first episode of Star Wars is the best one ever. You know, hurtful oh. things. You do that when you're tired. Oh, the look you from say hurtful things. Was like, <laughs> the first one is the best one. It's a good yeah. thing they never made any of those awful yeah. prequels. The, 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 you know, this episode is what it one. Into. <laughs> <laughs> no, Star Wars. Just plain Star Wars. Before there were episodes, Star Wars is the best. I think oh, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry because I'm, I'm going to be fucking pedantic on this. Star Wars opens with the crawling, and it says Episode Four. The first one opened the, before that. It opened. It doesn't say that. It says Episode Four: A New Hope in the crawl. Actually, the I, as long as I'm poking fun at Nathaniel, yeah. but he is in fact correct. The original doesn't the original say doesn't have four. That. It simply yeah. is it's Star a, Wars: A New Hope. I have the fucking I have thing it on Laserdisc, the original cut, and it says Laserdisc Episode wasn't Four. The original cut. Nope, Laserdisc no, the, wasn't the, from the original reels. Sorry, it my said, friend. Fuck both I of have you. the original. It doesn't yeah. say episode anything. That's all going to be cut. Yep. No. That's <laughs> Star Wars, damn it. This I, is know, I know you think you're right on this. <laughs> I'm sure I'm right. No, episode, but you're not. Episode four was, I will bet a bottle happened. of old granddad. Oh, all right. So we're well, into this right. for $18. <laughs> the, <laughs> first, the first time it came out, there was no episode four. There was no, no New Hope. It he's, was not a I'm New sorry, Hope. I'm sorry. He's entirely correct. Yeah. I am so hot and bothered that you all are flailing your arms about Star Wars. <laughs> like this is great. <laughs> I think it happens almost every every episode. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I was going to go into the psychology of Saw, but I guess I'm doing well, this instead. Okay. So, <laughs> so you are right, but you are. I can see where you went wrong on that because it it happened very quickly. <clears throat> you just fucking Google this shit. Yes. Yeah. I think it's interesting that the yes, razor please. blade guy, yes. I mean, Jigsaw caught him starting to cut himself, and then he just decided, okay, if you want to cut yourself, here you go. I'm just going to put you in a cage with with a bunch of blades, and you can have at it. You can decide to try to is. run Sorry. through it. or. Uh, there it is. The original May 1977 release of Star Wars, the opening crawl. Oh, wait, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> really? Oh, no. Because I can bring out the DVD, the original. Yeah, episode four. The, the one that I have doesn't say that. I will fight both of you <laughs> on this hardcore. K.O. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. Like, there was the drug addict, and each character has a different uh, magnification of what Jigsaw seems to be worthy or deserving of each person for it, their... It's kind of like a parent sitting down a child going, hey, I caught you smoking, so you're going to smoke a pack, but, you know, with knives or a whole and crate. blood. Yeah. Or, yeah. 
or I'm until just going you to throw light up. your family on fire or something. But it's it's that same kind of mentality that if you're this dissatisfied and whining this loud about it, I'll I'll, I'll give you something to cry about is is kind of the underlying theme of it. I don't know. I I. I, I like the concept because I think that most people are ungrateful, self-centered pieces of human trash. At the same time, I mean, you, you can't do that. I mean, the prep time in order to teach some random schmuck a lesson. And see, I mean, how are you going to get your way through 7.5 billion people? I mean, he spends so much God, time on every like scene and even the police that come in and see the box with like everything. Yeah, diorama. Yeah. Yeah. That is way too much time. Like, yeah, get learn a life CAD. or something. I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> learn MS Paint. <laughs> I mean, devote yourself to bettering society as uh, opposed to individually making people feel like shit. But he thinks he is, and oh, that's, that's the That's thing. not really my argument. My argument is it's just not time effective. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to spend my time doing that. Water supply. It's jigsaw. Go for the water supply. You'll have better reach. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what the scarecrow was going to do in Batman. So... <laughs> <laughs> Take it from a real supervillain. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I mean, I, I do like it's the true. concept. I'm a big fan of of teaching people lessons, but you run the danger of thinking yourself as an educator instead of like a serial killer. So that can be problematic. Yeah. 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 I may have to concede on the Star Wars thing. I know. <laughs> Maybe I will go down swinging. You can swing all you want. There's facts, and then there's whatever the fuck you're thinking. <laughs> but like I was saying, I can see how you got there because it happened very early. I mean, it wasn't like that wasn't when they added the ring around the Death Star explosion yeah. or all yeah. that. I mean, it, it happened way back, way back, still in, in the film part yeah. of this. Um, but you are wrong. But there are three like main philosophers that kind of tie into the symbolism and the the themes of like psychology throughout this movie and Nietzsche. Thank you, Dusty. For <laughs> <laughs> that which does not kill us makes us stronger. God is nothing. That's or God there, is dead. Or there, God is dead. God is dead. I think God's quote is, Nietzsche is dead. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, and another one was if you stare into the abyss long enough, the abyss, the abyss stares back, back at you. Yeah. Yeah. And who are the other two? The other two are Darwin which is Darwinism, the belief of evolution and progress, and Deleuze. I don't Deleuzean know. Themes. I don't know Deleuze. Yeah. That one, I don't know much about it. I thought the Darwinism thing played into it more in terms of like evolving and being having something happen that's so abrupt. And then I think with the Deleuzean themes, it's more in that it's the unacknowledged aspects of our experiences and reality and so being able to like pretty much like what you said with being able to oh i'm a piece of shit i need to change something about right, myself right. and then actually acknowledging that and i think that's where that comes into play i'm blinking i can see it as a, as a straight nietzsche thing though yeah with the i mean, cuz that's that's very much that which does not kill us makes us stronger. You're dissatisfied with your life. I'm going to put you in a situation where you are about to lose your life. If you have the strength, you will come out stronger with a new appreciation for what life you have. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> I totally get it. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly, but I also I also like making the comment a few moments ago about the if you stare long into the abyss, the abyss stares back at you, another one of his. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of plays well with the movie is also because every one of those characters 
is forced to stare into that abyss, that abyss within themselves. And then how they how they continue forward, either finding that strength in, in you know, and what might not kill them makes them stronger or, you know, however they deal with it, they do move forward. They do try to go through that abyss. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the guy with the razor wire, he just he wanted out. He ran through. He killed himself. Um, the the lockjaw woman, she stared and dealt with what she needed to do in order to survive. Made her stronger. Got her off of the drugs. Actually, no. But those are in other movies. Yeah, yeah. those are other movies. Yeah, she didn't. <laughs> she didn't. Yeah, I know. which That's which re- re- initially in the first one. Yeah, though. which which really puts paid to the whole "we're helping you" theory. He's just a crazy person <laughs> who likes torturing people. In reality, he's just creating more serial killers. Yeah, there's yeah, that well, too. Yeah, seven point five billion, whatever. You can lose twenty or thirty. It's yeah, fine. knock yourself out, man. <laughs> you know what that is? That's parking spaces opening up. So on that note, did you freeway. have any other topics, <laughs> Dusty? Before we, I don't into have it. I don't have any Matthew's topics. Matthew's dark and disturbing psyche. Jessica, <laughs> do you have any uh, any other topics simple. you'd like? Yeah, to what discuss? you got for us, Jessica? Uh, there was one that I thought was interesting. That there was an article that said that jigsaw. Whether the person lives or dies, it's that the pers- the flow of success keeps going, or that there is an idea of like worthiness or deserving with each character and that there is success in trying to have this person acknowledge their own wrong and to work through that and to have enough will to either cut an ankle off or <laughs> yeah, right. <you> know? <laughs> do what you uh, got to do. <laughs> yeah. Like how much are you willing to give? <laughs> Daniel's just, he, uh, it looks like he almost threw up in his, in his throat a little bit and he wigged out and very animated. There's mm. times where I wish there were a video for here, but. Sorry, like, I interrupted soon, you. I, I, inter- I interrupted you. You were saying? <laughs> but that, like, how much are you willing to give? And when it comes down to it, how are you going to react? You know, mm-hmm. and that's the success that he sees in the. Yeah, he's crazy. He is. Absolutely. But I think it's interesting that he doesn't care whether they live or die. And that's what kind of. He's just looking for that moment of realization out of them, you think? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. I would agree that with epiphany that. epiphany or that salvation in terms of them finally being free from almost being dead, you know? Heat death of the universe in seven billion years. Fuck it. I'm with him. Go Jigsaw. (laughs) (laughs) Every atom will drift apart. (laughs) Who gives a shit? There we go. I thought that was interesting. Happy place going to the happy place going to the happy place. This is what happens when we dive down the the deep well. No, this is what happens when I don't have bourbon. I know it's a podcast. So had I had I known, I would have gotten like a small bottle and brought it it's over. It's my own fault. I mean, I say, have a flask. I I, I, had I, I live twenty five minutes away. Say something. I will bring something. Yeah, that's all right. This again is our first recording here at a different studio where we are eventually moving to. So we still got some kinks to work out of the process, including the distribution. Seriously, of house the spirits. <laughs> you use silk like a gentleman. Yeah, you work that kink out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, Dusty and Jessica, if you don't have anything else to add, I think this is a good spot to uh, take a quick break, and we'll bring it back over into the gaming section. Do you have anything, Jessica? I think we're good. All right, we're coming back with Nathaniel. We'll see you guys in a little while. We will not. Hello, listeners. This is Dusty. Thank you for checking in, and I am your co-host with arguably the better voice out of the three of us. This week's episode is brought to you by Guardian Games, who we are proud to have as our sponsor. 
Guardian Games is Portland's largest gaming store where they have almost every game you can think of, be it role-playing, board games, card, mini, even video games. They also have a ton of gaming-related material and swag. And if you're over 21, have a drink in the back at the Critical Sip. They have a fantastic and incredibly knowledgeable staff, and they are the hub of a very diverse and friendly gaming community. Check out Guardian Games when you can. You will not be disappointed. And thanks for listening. Well, we are back from an exciting break on this exciting episode, talking about exciting torture and exciting murder and serial killers. Hurrah! Hurrah! And now we're ready to talk about some game stuff. Matthew, you open your mouth to say something, and what is it? I really like this movie. Yeah? I liked it more now that I've watched it again. I I liked it more now than I did when I first saw it. I also agree. That might be a function of my age now, and you know my greater experience with making and producing film. Because I was, it was very impressive, and uh, I'm interested to see what you're bringing to the table to play this. I have an idea. You do? I do. Excellent. It's also going to be my campaign. It's all kind of rolled into one. I know I normally do a campaign hook, but there is something in the universe that has come out within the last three or four years into popularity that's just too good at doing this. Oh, I know where to, you're going. Uh, yeah. Well, I do want to talk about gameable themes first. Yeah. About this movie. Uh, well... I'm approaching this not just from the first movie, but from the franchise. Personally, I don't think the first movie itself is going to create that interesting of a tabletop game for us to play. Agreed. Mine is not. Yeah. So I think in order to do so, the second movie builds more of a party, and the characters are all kind of together, overcoming different things at different times, uh, their own fears and their own issues, and they have to split up and do that kind of stuff. I think the second movie and beyond will be more gameable content-wise. But the first movie still lays that groundwork. I've got a game in mind for it. But again, I want to talk about some of the themes of this movie. So we have the philosophy. We have the the Nietzscheism, the uh, staring into the abyss and having the abyss stare back at you. We've got characters who are clearly going to come into play with a number of flaws pre-written on their sheet. In fact, your character's probably not even going to have any skills. There's very little that requires skill in this. Everything is basically a matter of rolling willpower. Yeah, that or deduction. Or deduction. Like, there's very little dice rolling that happens. It's almost as if, I don't know, if, if I were watching somebody play something like this, it would seem... 99% 99% narrative of, you know, you stick your hand Agreed. in the hole, what happens? Yeah. Uh, how strong-willed are you? You know, you flash back to a moment from your childhood where you were standing at the precipice and you almost pushed the neighbor girl down a well. Did you do it? And if you did, did you pull her out? That I kind thought of thing? you were going in a completely different way with stick your hand in the hole. But then you flash back to the present, looking down this hole, <laughs> feeling the same feelings that you stared, that you something. had when staring down that well. Do you stick your hand in? So, based on your answers, the GM right. would adjust what happens. You'd need a gifted storyteller to, to pull that off. Not just a gifted storyteller, but you would need gifted players who are willing to come up on the fly with aspects of their past. So, the GM could say, okay, well, you know, remember that time you cheated on your wife? And 
the players looking down at their character sheet like, wait, that's not here. And the GM staring them down hard. <laughs> and the player's like, oh, that's my cue. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that time, but I didn't. Like chickened out at the last moment kind of thing. Right. So I think there's going to be a, a healthy balance of improv on both sides of the table here. Matthew, you've got something. I do. Tell me about it. Okay. So uh, for those of you who are viewing our much more successful podcast years and years in the future. <laughs> Thank you, by the way. The, the current year is, is 2017. And in 2016, the year before, something came up that was wildly popular uh, for quite some time called an escape room. And what an escape room is, is a room where you and your friends go in and there is a variety of traps and puzzles to solve in real life. Like you, you literally are walking into a room that has been set up on a theme to escape from. Those were all inspired by a series of video games, the hidden object games yeah, where yeah. you have to move things around and figure and, out yeah, where and the key is. Yeah, and solve puzzles. Yeah. Uh, now, there's a variety of themed ones, um, and some of them are horror, especially if you're approaching it uh, during the Halloween era. More, more of those open up. Halloween era, Halloween time of year. Somebody, I don't know if it's one of you, but somebody was telling me they did a zombie one, a zombie survival one. Yeah. That's kind of Th- cool. There's all kinds of different themes to it. There's just look for escape room and then Google the na- the nearest major city to you. Combine those words and you will find something that you can take your group into and literally play out something very similar where you're given a series, you're given a circumstance, and you have to figure out how the hell to get out. Yeah, there's there's a lot of them, including zombies, prisons, pirates, hostage. Yeah. Kidnap- Harry Potter has... That whole theme is an escape room for Harry Potter now. This is more of a, of a LARP scenario yeah. than a than a thing, but mm-hmm. it would be very easy to give yourself a character to do this with. Now it's a little outside the norm for what I normally recommend. Yeah, but it has no dice. for this specific movie, I think it would be an excellent choice. How do you escape from the room? Well, what was the major theme of song? How to escape from the? Yeah, okay. That would I think that would work perfect. Yeah. Anyway, that's my idea. Um, I don't really have a campaign for this, but this is I, clearly one-shot material. Yeah, but I honestly think that if you take your gaming group and you drop the forty dollars instead of getting all new books, go do this. It would be a hell of a lot of fun. I think if you wanted to do something like this as an extended campaign, it could work well as one of those games that you hear that your friends do who go to conventions or maybe. You know, we're all 30s and older, these people who go to once-a-year meetups with their old friends from back in the day, and they play one game every year together on a special date, that kind of stuff. This game could work like that. Like We get together at a convention one year, and we play a game. And if anybody survives that game, next year we get together... And we play the same game, like a follow-up, uh-huh. where one player who survived is playing that same character in some way, right. or we're all playing new characters, and we bring that character in as the surprise guest or right. an NPC kind of thing. You could make a recurring story out of this, much like they did with the movies. I never saw past the second one, so I don't really know if the third and fourth... I There's was, actually an overarching plot line. So yeah. I was done with Saw after the second one. It's like, I, I'm, I don't need any more of this. But I did like the second one's more group focus story. Mm-hmm. And if we were going to do something like this, if this wins, if this becomes the game that we're going to do a video of, I think we would want to have a group 
thing, something that we can get at least three players in who can all enjoy kind of a experiencing the same thing at the same time. Whereas in the first one, you've got the two characters in the bathroom, but they ain't going anywhere, and all they're doing is asking questions to the GM. Hey, is there a thing here? No. Yeah. Is there a key over here? No. I'm going to search this brick. I'm going to search, search this brick. brick. You don't I'm gonna find anything. I'm going to search in the toilet. I'm going to search the next toilet. You don't find anything. That could get really old after a while. Having characters that can move around, that can explore a haunted house or a death room or the the second one had that like big house just full of traps all over the place that would make for a more engaging story for people to watch yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it would there's more rooms there are people and yeah many horror based rpgs out there but today i'm just bringing one what you got what i have i think is perfect for this i think it would tell the story of saw very well i think this game well, this game could work for almost any horror movie that we can bring. But for this month, for this episode, this is the one that I am pitching. And it is a game called Dread. Very simple, evocative cover. The word Dread and, and a blood. few bloodstains on a white I've, I've seen that at the gaming store. Dread is an indie game by a fellow named Epidiah, whose last name I'm not even going to try and pronounce. I want to do it. <laughs> Second page. Have at it. Epidiah Ravicol. Ravicol? Ravichol? Something like that. Ravicol. Epidiah. He is in my extended online circles. I, or, or they. I don't actually know their pronoun. Is in my extended online prof, uh, circles. I have never actually learned to pronounce that name. But Dread is an increasingly popular horror game. You may have seen Will Wheaton's Tabletop do a two-part series on it. It was actually really good. If you have not watched it, I recommend doing it. He does a really good job of telling the story and keeping the tension going. Dread drop is a, a link. What? Drop oh, definitely. Yeah. Dread is a game. Well, Wheaton needs our help. He's not very successful. No. <laughs> I don't think many people have heard of him either. So if you haven't, Some shut up, Wesley. There. It's, it's <laughs> Will spelled W-I-L. Will Wheaton? Will, 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 Will Wheaton? Will Wheaton? <laughs> Nobody gets that joke, clearly. No. <laughs> Not even so, Stewie. <laughs> this game is <laughs> unique in that it doesn't use dice. It doesn't use character sheets. It doesn't use numbers. It doesn't have stats. It doesn't have skills. It has one very simple mechanic, and that is a tower made of little wooden blocks that some of you might know Wait, as Jenga. Jenga. Oh, shit. That's fucking awesome. You set a Jenga tower out in the middle of the table. Anytime somebody wants to do something that is considered stressful or outside of their character's abilities, they have to make a pull from the tower. Oh. Our rules. So they, what, what happens when the tower, like, inevitably... Oh, oh we'll get to that. <laughs> so there are rules. Now. <laughs> you can only pull with one hand at a time. Uh-huh. It has to be pulled down from somewhere from above the top. It can't be... You can't just pull from the top and right. replace. You can abandon a pull. Mm-hmm. The GM, the, the the host is what they're called. The host can say, okay, well, you wish to stab the monster in the face with a two-by-four. Well, that's going to require a pull. All right. So you reach forth and you pull. And if it starts to shake, you can abandon the pull. You don't have to pull. You can always say no. And if you don't pull, well, the host gets to say what happens to you. But they can't kill you. 
They can cripple you. They can hurt you. They can put you in a worse situation, but you're still in the story and you still have agency. But if you pull from that tower and that tower falls, your character is removed from the story. So what happens after that? Is the tower reset with the remaining characters? Towers reset, but then everybody immediately takes out a number of pulls to catch up. Oh, I like that. So the state of the tower is indicative of the current state of tension in the game. The more complicated and wobbly the tower, the story builds to match it. So you're sitting there and you're about to make a pull from the tower. Yeah, yeah. And the GM is talking to you the whole time. I like time. it because it gives you like a real world sense of foreboding. Like, because yes. there's a disconnect in like D&D and more traditional games where you're like, okay. I'm only playing with uh, a mid-level group. I'm not really invested in my character. And the DM is George from the Fry Cook from work, who <laughs> happened to have the books. Yeah. And he's just running through a module. This, I see this teetering fucking thing. And I'm <laughs> how like, tall is it? How, actually, how, how big uh, is it's it? It's a Jenga tower. It's, it's, yeah. it's standard yeah. Jenga. Standard okay. Jenga. Or, or any other, what are they called? Tumbling tower. Yeah. Or the, yeah. So I, I, I don't really know like if we can actually say it, Jenga, but we're doing it anyway. Okay. Jenga, Jenga, Jenga. <laughs> Jenga, Jenga, Jenga. <laughs> Yeah, but um, I, I like that it gives uh, an immediate sense and a very real world sense of the problem you're facing, and adds. It, it, it's very easy if you're just marking off an endless supply of hit points, which can be replaced by potions, mm-hmm. to yes. do stupid ass shit that no real person. Or if would you have a cleric do. that's going to take care of. Yeah, you. that yeah. no real. But if you if you fuck up and you play. pull and that tower's gone. You're going to think about what you do, and I like that. I like that mechanic a lot. I'm going to make a controversial statement here. Not super controversial, but a gamer controversial statement. I know a lot of fans of Call of Cthulhu and other kind of horror-based games where you have stats, and you you have skills, and as you play and you encounter things, you get insanity points. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. A couple of numbers on a sheet of paper are not fucking scary. Oh no! I have insanity points. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Well, guess that's like hit points. I don't fucking care about them. It's just a number on a page that goes up and goes down. That is not inherently tense. It is not scary. A jenga tower that's about to fall. If I fuck up into mm-hmm. your Mountain Dew, yeah. is gonna is scary. <laughs> or your nachos. And it's do or die essentially. Yeah. If I do it, I succeed. If I fail, I die. Yeah, I, I, That's really interesting. I, I never like really that. understood like, your comment about having insanity points. I, I've, I've never played the game like Call of Cthulhu just because yeah. I, I've never gotten in, invited to, to get into that system. But I never understood why, why there are insanity points. Why not just use it as a die roll? Like you have a 50-50 chance in any situation to become insane or a 70-30 or an 80-20 or whatever the case may be 45 65 exactly something <laughs> like that that's 110 uh, percent man <laughs> i'm very insane <laughs> so i like this this prospect of the of the tower just as much as i think i think matthew does i think it's it's there it's right in front of you you have to fucking be careful that's awesome and yes some might say it's a little ableist in that you in order to play it you first off you need to have hands and oh for fuck's y- sake you have to have steady hands so if you're the kind of person who sucks, no, that at would Jenga, be great at not having steady hands and yeah. playing. That would be awesome. There's also ways to. I've, I've seen fuck up the whole scene. I've seen videos of people who talk about ways to make it even more tense, such as before the game, mm-hmm. take your fresh Jenga blocks, lay them out on the sidewalk, and then splatter red paint on them to represent blood. 
and then flip them that. all over and do the same thing. So the whole thing has this kind of blood-stuttered feel. That's and cool. then stack the blocks. I was thinking something completely different. And if you do that, now you have a really cool-looking, bloody Jenga tower, but at the same time, they're also no longer slick. I was actually going to go with more slickness. Those yeah. pulls now... They've got, they've got some resistance they to They have them. some yeah. resistance. So if you want a shorter game, if you want people to die quicker, that's a way to prepare a tower. So you could have, like, two towers. I've got my pure tower, and then I've got my fuck you tower. <laughs> <laughs> I was imagining one with like the spray adhesive that's invisible. Ooh. <laughs> You're evil. <laughs> I like that. Only some of them, though. Mm, just I mean, some of them. <laughs> where oh, you're that's like, nasty, oh, nope. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am not going to let you run this for <laughs> <laughs> That's my just sadistic side again. Sorry. But I kind of like it. I'm sticking with it. I'm now hoping that this game wins. <laughs> <laughs> this is. One of my see, favorite games. Books. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we do, I want to talk about the character sheets. So you do have a character sheet, but it's not full of numbers. All it is is actually a questionnaire. So before the GM runs it, he gives everybody a questionnaire to answer. Now, the questions are going to be about your character. They could be simple things like, how'd you, you know, what's the story from when you grow up? Or uh, what's your favorite color? They can get darker and Ooh, read me some. really dark. Now, the entire book... Every page from the beginning to end, it starts and then it just keeps going with a really long strip of continual ideas for questions to put on here. For example, why did you save the old woman instead of the child? Why has your life not been the same since you escaped from the big bad wolf? How might your life be different if you hadn't driven off in a rage that night? Why did you not stab your mother? Why did Dusty become an alcoholic? Oh, dear I've been Lord. wondering that myself. Because I am a raging fucking alcoholic. <laughs> what was the worst thing that Jessica ever said to you? That oh, was dear. true. <laughs> oh, oh, so dear. you oh, build no. questions about, you answer questions about yourself, mm -hmm. but the GM should also put in questions about the other characters that you answer for them. Now here, take a look at the book. Through this, you have a collaborative, group-built introduction. So everybody has a little bit of creation say-so in each other's characters. But also, through that, the GM builds a little bit more of the scenario that they're going to do. And they can take notes. The GM never rolls dice, never pulls from the stack, never does anything mechanical. They're just telling you a ghost story, just like we used to do mm -hmm. around the fire or in the middle of the night with flashlights scary stories to tell in the dark all they're doing is saying like we used to do this happens what do you do oh i'm gonna do this well that's gonna require a pull from the tower that's like that's basically how i think we all got into even playing role playing is like what do you do here's your scenario what do you do i what like that do you do i'd always be pulling from the tower i'm, I'm yeah. bad like that i'm like i'm gonna do it anyway okay because i have Steady hands. I spent the last few days watching reviews and actual plays of this. I linked one of them in our discussion group, mm -hmm. and I watched all the tabletop ones, and I watched a number of others. It's really awesome. I would love to run this. We would have to acquire a non-branded, non-copyrighted, uh, trademark, whatever, tower of oh, tumbling blocks. They sell them all over Amazon. Most people buy them, oddly enough, for weddings, 
Apparently, they're like, oh, these make the best wedding thing. People write. I give names you sticks. Them. You have yeah. a fantastic <laughs> life. <laughs> there are alternate rules mm-hmm. that you can play without a tumbling tower. You can play with pickup pick sticks. sticks. I was going to say, pickup sticks would probably work. You can play with dice stacking. What about with a deck of cards? Yeah, uh, it doesn't. You can have, only pull from the. Top, it doesn't have really have the tension of it. So I guess uh, if you built, I like the teetering uh, tower idea. That's yeah, pretty cool. Like house, that's the best because cards. it creates Suspense. that crash. Yeah, that 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 means you're fucking dead. It just yeah. breaks all the tension. You just screwed Not something up. Not necessarily dead, but out of the game. You are taken out of play for how long? Until, Until the game is over. Is it okay? But but the GM can bring you back in. As is it if something you else? The tower. Well, oh. no, 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 no. The GM. Sorry, if somebody is taken out, you do restack the tower. But if you are taken out of the game, you don't leave the table. You're still there, and you can still contribute. One of the things that some people suggest is that you sort of fuck with the other players, so oh, that never like, possible. Yeah. yeah, so that when they're trying to pull, you're like moving your hands in front of their face, like or you're, them, or or you're whispering like, yeah, I would, I would, I would say in a their no, ears. A no touch rule on no that. Touch. But okay. I mean, right. you could certainly fuck with somebody. Ah, yeah. yeah, or the GM can bring you back into play as part of the the horror, part of the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And ask you, what? Oh, so your character is a werewolf now. Okay, cool. You're one of the wolves now. Guess what? You're back in. What do you do? And she's like, well, I'm clearly going to kill Matthew. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't blame you. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) This, I have never played a horror game that has really gotten the table quite as into the moment as Dread. I don't think anything tops it. You'd want to play it on a real hard table, too, so that there's a real yeah. significant clatter when it goes down. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's going to cause people to jump. Even when they see it coming, there's always that when it falls, people will jump, even when they know what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. The game has some really good advice built into it about running horror games, such as setting the scene, using appropriate music, using appropriate lighting. Well, in the last the, the last episode, we, we were talking about uh, mood for games, and I think with with horror, it's it's always good to have like that dim lighting or candles and mood music. I mean, Definitely. any game is good to have mood music, but with horror specifically, it's really good. I think to have really dim lighting, the you know ambiance and the the the, the creepy fucking music. People have a hard time getting into horror games. It's hard to break out of the silliness. You know, it's. We could even sit down and start to play a game of Dread. We'll have the Jenga Tower set out, and everybody's going to be joking and whatnot. And I feel that something like that, the more you pull from it, the more tense you get, and the silliness goes away. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But for most horror games, it's really hard to look at a character sheet full of numbers, like your fucking insanity points, and take it seriously. No, I agree. I think that's a very good idea, and I like the mechanic. Atmosphere definitely adds to it as well like having not just the tension of the tower but really cool spooky music going mm-hmm. on and not just cheesy halloween spooky music you know oh, none of that stuff you want to find some creepy ass noise music or video some video mm-hmm. outlast i'll bet has like uh, a score or some kind of a sound reel that you could play what's up so there was a thing on youtube i don't know if it's still there but uh, I think I think it was taken down. I'll check. But do you know the sound a, ma- a rabbit 
makes when it's killed. Oh yeah, I know that it's video. That horrible there's, screeching. Th- there's a five hour loop of that, and I mean, if you just want to go over the top with ambiance, I wouldn't do all five hours of that, but I would definitely find <laughs> it, mean, sample it, and splice it into a playlist. So occasionally it pops back yeah, up during yeah, rotation. I really don't want to hear this. But yeah, let's not play it. Let's no, I just it. it's, no. it's not. I don't see a big loop of it. It's like two minutes of it's. It was like a baby scream, a uh, uh, rabbit screaming That's, in distress. Yeah. I we, really we don't want. I really don't want to hear it. We at the Half Movies Will Game Podcast do not encourage cruelty to animals, but it is a really scary sound effect. So, what do you think so far? What? Any thoughts? I'll this play is, that shit. Yeah, yeah, I'll play it. I'd love to. You give me some Jenga. I'll play no, that shit. Normally, right I try and bring more things, but I was watching Saw. No, that's I good. Like, I like no, the real world immediacy of it too, yeah. and I like that. It's it's in your fate, and it's it's not random. It's utterly controlled by you. Dice to a certain degree, no matter how much I talk to them and sacrifice small woodland creatures to them, are are a random number generator. Yeah. Whereas this is entirely in your paws. So if you think you want to do something, and you have to do it, just like in Saw, yeah, it's good. Like one it. of, one of the gamers that I grew up with, his dice, if they were not performing to how he wanted them perform for the for the session. He would literally put them in a plastic bowl and put them in the microwave for 10 seconds to teach them a lesson. Yeah. That's fucked up. (laughs) I I had one that killed two characters in a row above 10th level. And on the second one, I quietly picked it up. I left the gaming table. I stepped out onto the back patio and walked into my friend's backyard where he had a chopping block set up with an axe in it. That one got the axe. I <laughs> oh, still, I thought you were going to take a, a sledgehammer. I thought no, you were no, no. I still it. have both pieces, which I keep in a separate, uh, a separate container, so that they can't physically touch the rest of my dice. <laughs> but I have it in with the rest of them as an object lesson. That's that's <laughs> what my, my my buddy did. If other dice were not performing, he would throw them into the bowl that had the somewhat melted dice to teach them a lesson. Yeah. Like and you know, them. it sounds stupid, but it works. And if it's stupid <laughs> and it works, it's not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> dice tend to do better when they're scared for their fucking lives. That's awful. Have you have you trained your dice yet? I just see myself as Jigsaw. <laughs> <laughs> your rolls will never feel more complete than they do right now. Hey, Dice. <laughs> Want to play, play a, a game? game? <laughs> <laughs> they're all like, no, no. <laughs> Not after what you did to Billy. <laughs> I did bless my dice. Yes. Good. Yes. I... I on them, roll them up, and make sure you threaten them, them every now and then. Yeah, too. you got to threaten them every once in a well, while. Well, I showed them love, lots of love at the beginning, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then, yeah, you're right. You have to as, put as them you back use them in over line, time. Yeah, you know. they'll get used to you. I prefer the love method myself as well. You know, I every now and then, if they're underperforming, I guess you know they've probably had a bad time. I'm just going to swap them out, let them get some rest, not so they don't have to. You know, so my dice bag is this dark leather bag, and. It probably gets dark and scary in there. You want to put them out on the shelf so That's they get some light. Crush them so on the inside. Yeah, <laughs> I seal them into an airproof box, and if they don't do what I want, the fire awaits. Oh man, <laughs> I have had my dice bag since I was eight years old. I got it, and somewhere in Alabama, at one of those Indian mound museums mm-hmm. that we went to as a field trip. And it has this bag that just says little leather bag that says gemstones on it mm-hmm. with a drawstring. And I was like, <gasps> dice right, right. <laughs> I didn't even have dice of my own at the time, <laughs> but I bought it for that purpose. <laughs> I made mine because I was I was unemployed and I was like, I don't want to spend the 12 bucks to buy a decent dice bag. 
So I went and bought a bunch of fabric and ended up spending like 25 on fabric because, you know, unemployed and stupid. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, oh, I can make these and sell these and sell them. And then I went to the game store and saw that similar bags were selling for a lot less. So I was like, oh, fuck it. But... It's nice. It's got velvet on the inside. But you made it. Yeah, I made it. There, there you go. Yeah, you got the sewing table, machine and you everything. You should definitely have salsa on the table as you play this game. I think it's very evocative. And also, if a player does something stupid, you could flick it at them. No, I think it needs to be blood. sriracha. Just squirt sriracha on No, that, that could cause permanent damage to the eyes. <laughs> it is hot, though, still. This is mild. You'll be fine. <laughs> I don't know. Dusty bought me my first die yes i did they're beautiful i love them I'm glad i thought you i'd do. have to borrow die and then i bought that and i blessed them i think i spent a good hour at least blessing yeah. my die i think they performed well on on that lost yeah, campaign fine. yeah yeah the lost episode yeah the yeah. lost episode yeah that's a shame too it's actually pretty fun yeah it was, it was good we'll have more oh yes. yeah yeah so dread and the, saw the role playing game in the movie saw of horror, terror, and hope. Aww. Aww. I think that's how it's built. And the best of all of them is hope. That's the only Can thing. Wow. True love. True love. Is what brings us together. Say man and wife. Say man and wife. Man and wife. <laughs> No, um, I, I, no, I like this. Gore and the host. There are two parts of the gore equation. The vile act and the visceral detail. Both are important, but the key lies in the detail. Gore should force your players to focus on a particular incident of horror. To do this, you need to present them with an image they have never seen before. An image that includes details that intrigue and repulse them simultaneously. So fisting. Yes, fisting. Bringing it back, Matthew. Fisting, Full circle, fisting, baby. Back. Fisting your dead, still warm. Whoa, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not you know, take gaming, it too far, buddy. Gaming buddy. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, on Shit that got dark. This was... <laughs> Shit got real dark, man. You should <laughs> hear some of the things you said earlier in this podcast. None of them was necrophilic <laughs> oh, <man>. fisting. <laughs> I said my dog kept me up all night and I was mad. <laughs> So I, I don't would be a bad friend. I would like to run dread. Roll the story. I, it's not necessarily what I want to win, but I definitely <laughs> would like to run dread more than I would like to run little fears. Oh yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah little yeah, fears. I don't want to do that. I really yeah. don't want to. I made comment on the on the last um, episode. If you if if that movie and that gaming session wins, I will not play that game. You know, it's funny though. I'm going to go see it again. No, I like the movie. Yeah. I will not play I that game for that movie. And I would run Little Fears. I just don't want to. I want to run Dread. Or something that we talk about later this month mm-hmm. might actually work even better. But I definitely don't want to run Little Fears. Sorry. Bringing it back down. So, Dread. Mm-hmm. A game with a built-in tension mechanic that's fun for the whole family. Thoughts? I like it. I, I want to play I like it. I, I will definitely get on board with Dread. Whether or not it's voted for or not, I want to play the yeah. game. So. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I think we have our game. Yeah. All right. I like it. I would love to join you guys. I'm even even if I don't don't join you guys in that, that is a great game. Yeah. I love the mystery and the suspense and like the physical part of seeing this teetering tower and the music. Uh, well maybe <laughs> maybe if we can all find some like more time outside more time. outside of the podcast, we just fucking run it. Yeah, we could. Yeah. So if Dread doesn't win, we'll still play Dread, but we won't film it. Yeah, we might give it a bonus. 
We might film it too. We'll see. And if we're gonna, how much it we out, like so you I'll guys? Yeah, camera. yeah. Just one camera. Yeah, just we need one. somebody yeah. with a shaky cam walking around. This <laughs> <camera>. <laughs> <laughs> Do it Blair Witch style. Get, yeah. get up in someone's face. Whatever, whatever game we end up doing for this, we gotta have somebody with a shaky cam. It's a horror. If one. you know what, if the if uh, if it and uh, Little Fears wins, I'll do the shaky cam. <laughs> I do. I do not want to play that game. I'm sorry. I do not. I no. Um, I totally yeah, don't understand. like it. It's just as a writer, there are certain areas, certain paths I don't want to go down, and yep. that like hits all of them. Okay, so I think we have uh, our game. That would be Dread. Uh, forget the one I said. That's way better. So that was Saw. The game is Dread. And thanks for tuning in this week. I was Matthew, and I'm Dusty, and I'm Nathaniel, and I'm Jessica. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of our show. We're a new name in the enormous sea of podcasts and appreciate any feedback that you can send our way. If you like what you've heard, or even if you didn't, please leave us a review and let us know. Got a movie or a game that you want to hear us talk about? Drop us a comment on our website at havemovieswillgame.com or hit us up on any of the usual social networks. We'd love to hear from you. The opening theme music is Rock and Gravel by Sid Valentine's Patent Leather Kids, part of the public domain and found on publicdomain4u.com. Opening narration is provided by Isaac Scher. Half Movies Will Game is distributed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again next week. <laughs>